This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the rosters are set, so let the games begin. Things get started with an afternoon matinee in Philadelphia. We have a jam-packed show. Brian Lemon, Mike Poulin, Dylan Ward, and a chat with Pat Gregoire. Oh, and if you hadn't heard, the New York somethings are back. All that more on OTCB. I am an What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Had some great conversations with people over the last week since we reappeared on your airwaves last Tuesday, and we are back at it again here from Zone Control in downtown Victoria. Thank you. As always, for tuning in. Uh, we have a jam-packed show, as mentioned, off the top. Pat Gregoire will join us for the first edition of A Chat with Smoke and Pat. We have two of the NLL's best goaltenders and two of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in Dylan Ward and Mike Poulin. And we check in with the VP of Lacrosse Operations, Brian Lemon, just to make sure we know all the ins and outs of maybe some rule changes or some things the officials will be looking to call penalties on because there are some things that will be different this year. And not in terms of rules, just more in terms of how tightly officials call things. And some people will be happy about it. Some people may not be. But that's just kind of the way things go. So we'll talk about that. We'll break down um, the 11 rosters that have all finally been released. Vancouver just wanted the spotlight to themselves, so they waited an extra day. But we won't break down every single roster player by player because, well, I don't want to. And uh, mostly because we don't have all that much time. But we'll take a couple points from each roster, maybe um, an omission or a a hole or something that sticks out in my mind because there are a couple things that were a little... I don't want to say unsettling, but worrisome, maybe raising some red flags for some teams and uh, depending on who they brought in, who they kept, who they didn't. Um, I truly believe that all 11 teams feel that they have put out the best roster of 25 guys, 21 plus four. And it's really tough to see until all these game, all these teams have played a game, tough to see how they work out because on paper, A team may look young or inexperienced or small, but once you blow the whistle and put the pads on and get playing, all those things go out the window. Because heart, hustle, determination, work ethic, playing within systems, all those things go together to make a successful team, not just names on paper. While some teams may look stacked and loaded, and other teams may look like they have some growing pains that they could be going through, that could all of a sudden be flipped around by the time we're four or five weeks in to the season. So we'll kind of break things down. We'll look at each roster uh, and, and let you know some of my thoughts, and we'll go from there. And as always, find me on Twitter, email me, Facebook, message me, stop me in the middle of the street in Victoria, whatever you want. And let's have a chat because, like I said, there are some interesting roster moves. There are some names that are out there that or aren't on rosters that people 
maybe raise some eyebrows about. So we'll get into that um, as the day goes on. But let's start with one of the two goaltenders on this show this week. And we're going to start down in the heart of Georgia with Mike Poulin. And if you've been listening to this show over the past few years, Poulin has been a long time friend of the show since probably one of the first years back in, oh, 2010-ish when the show was an actual radio show in Vancouver. Pooley has been a regular guest, always brings such great insight from a goaltender's point of view, and just the way he thinks just makes me want to pick his brain even more. So our discussion starts with a little weather chat because for me, here in Victoria on the West Coast, it is absolutely pouring rain. And we decided on a quick debate What would you rather, a winter day full of snow or a winter day full of rain? And it goes on from there. Well, downpour or snow, what would you rather? Um, That's a tough call. Would you rather be (laughs) soaking wet or a little cold? Yeah, yeah. It's a toss-up. It is a big toss-up, but I'm kind of used to the weather, so I'm I'm all right. It's making our grass greener. And right. flowers grow, so we'll do it optimistic. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How's things, brother? Good, man. Good. Yeah, really, uh, really good. How was the uh, off season treated you? The little bit longer off season. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was nice. It was. Uh, I'll tell you, like things got a little close there, but two week training camp sure was nice too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The body doesn't hurt as much after two weeks. That's true. That's true. Uh, what were your thoughts when the the whole process was going on between the PA and the National Crossing? Was there ever a, a major doubt in your mind, or did you kind of always have faith that the two sides would come to a deal? Um, I want to say I had no doubts because I was also around in 07 yeah. when uh, when the league came out and they said we're canceling the season, no negotiating. This is this is it. And I remember then feeling like, oh my gosh. Uh, the lacrosse is over there's no more professional lacrosse and then like a day later two days later it was like oh we've we've managed yeah. to patch this up and here we go so i feel like i've i've been around long enough to know when a bluff is a bluff or when you know you give something up in hopes of getting something mm-hmm. but that being said I, I really stayed out of it this year um uh just because like i'm i felt that uh uh, I'm, I'm at the point in my career where the younger guys are fighting for things that are more important to them than, you know, than what I should be. Uh, so uh, I, I was a PLP rep for years with Calgary and Georgia, and um, I went to the meetings and I've always been involved. In, and I stayed involved in, in what this CBA negotiation was, but I thought it was more important for somebody like Jay Noble, who's younger um, and has a lot more years left in this league than I do to be more involved. So he was our PLPA rep through the whole process. So, um, he did a fantastic job of updating the players. We get, you know, lots of, lots of uh, updates. So we, we all knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So when I think the one point where I felt, okay, this is getting a little hairy was when they did say we're canceling, you know, the first two weeks of the season, because uh, with, with, you know, when that happens, rumors start to float around like, Oh, two new teams, they're, they're going to sit out this year. And, and bigger things are going to happen with other teams. And, and once the rumors started to flow, it makes players nervous. And um, I, you know, I was committed to sitting out if we had to. But uh, you, you hear things that, you know, people obviously with, with you know, money on the line and, and mm-hmm. careers, it, 
you, you want everyone to come in winning. And once that starts to happen, more and more people, especially the fans of lacrosse, more and more people are going to lose. So once that starts happening, you really want to just get to the table and figure it out. So I'm glad everybody put their, you know, um, you know, their egos aside and, and got together and met and talked everything out and, and it, uh, it all worked out. And now we get two weeks to camp and we get right into the swing of things. Uh, you guys have announced your roster like all the other 11 teams. Uh, when you look at the makeup of the swarm for this year, how do you feel about your group? I'm really excited. Uh, we've got five, five changes, I think, from our squad last year in, you know, fairly big changes. I think we were hit probably the hardest out of any team in terms of the expansion draft, uh, retirement with Joel White, a couple of trades, losing some great guys. Um, so we were hit pretty hard and as a goalie, losing a couple of good D guys and, and, you know, guys who put the ball in the neck. I was, you know, at first I was a little worried about what we were, filling those holes with, but after the draft, uh, man, like Golden Catoni, Joel Tenney, Adam Wiedemann, Brandon Bomberry, like right there, four guys, damn, no, yeah. no hesitation in terms of making our squad. So um, I, I really like what we've brought. We are a fast team from our first training camp session. I, you, know, you can see it that this is a team that moves well and, um, and runs and, and scores in transition. And, and our D guys, we're not the biggest group of D guys, but, man, everybody's athletic. And uh, we added Matt Dunn, who's, you know, the MLL Defensive Player of the Year. And it's just another classic example. I like to joke that, like, all the MLL players like to take, you know, their Instagram photos with their shirts off because they're all in really good shape. And then indoor guys are just like, hey, let's throw a couple more hoodies on. So the more and more we have these guys coming into our league, it's, it's making guys, you know, get in better shape. So I, I think it's awesome. Um, how cool is it that you can have – four young guys step into your roster. You talked about, you know, uh, how badly you guys were hurt through the draft or through the expansion drafts and trades and things like that. When you can get, you know, the likes of the guys that you talked about, holding the Tony, Brendan Bomber, Gunner, uh, when you can get those guys to step in right away, how seamless does that make the transition for you guys, especially after a shortened camp? Yeah, it, it, it leaves me optimistic for a few reasons. One, like selfishly seeing how great the Georgia Swarm look, um, and how, you know, when you bring in young athletic guys like that, they just, they're so hungry about lacrosse. They they want to learn everything, and they want to just jump right into it. There's there's a very quick learning curve, and um, and I don't think our team is going to miss a beat, really. And it also makes me optimistic about the game of lacrosse and, and the pro, uh, the pro level, because I know in the past couple of years, myself included, when people talk about, expansion happening rapidly you think well where are the players going to come from and how big of a drop-off is the talent going to be once we start talking about 15 16 20 teams but when you see these you know kids come out of college and uh and these field players coming over who have never played before and you see them pick it up so quickly i have no doubt that lacrosse is in a very good you know good position right now and you know georgia prime example of we have four really good goalies on our on our uh our squad right now too on the active two on the practice roster. And another concern was always coaching and, and goaltender depth for expansion. But when I look around the league, I feel pretty uh, pretty confident about all of those things. I was going to ask you, because it is rather odd for a team to carry four goaltenders. Do you think that that's just in preparation for expansion and, and having that depth for when more teams come in? Or do you think that that's kind of put some pressure on you and Kevin to make sure your game is on tip-top shape? Uh, by this weekend? A little bit of both. Um, 
I think the the key for putting pressure on Carolina was just how well the other two guys played. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Orleman and Craig Wendy um, both had great camps and made it really tough on the coaching staff. I'm sure if it was an easy decision to pick one over the other, it would have been three goalies. But yeah. they both played really well. Um, and in combination with that, I think we're in a position of, of depth at uh, an area where not every team is. And if there's, you know, one thing you see around the league, people are willing to trade first-round picks for goalies. And teams yeah. are not that quick to separate with a first-round pick anymore. Back in the day, they were just traded like candy. Yeah, here, take yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. You know what, take another one. <laughs> um, but that has stopped because people have seen how Saskatchewan and Georgia and other teams have built their teams off, first, off their own first-rounders and other people's. Absolutely. But, you know, you look this year, um, you know, Bouquet was traded for a first. I go all the way back to 2010. I was traded for a first. Like, goalie, goalies, you get traded for, you know, out of the potential of what the position might be. So being uh, being deep at goalie, I think it's it's good for us in case there's an injury, in case there's expansion, but also keeping our, our covered stock for the future. Was there a little uh, brotherly rivalry between uh, the Orleman brothers? Oh, you bet there was. It was hilarious. There uh <laughs> You know, at first I was a little worried about, you know, bringing them in and pushing each other, um, you know, how that might go. Like, are we going to see some, you know, sibling fights in our dressing room? But mm-hmm. they were uh, they were hilarious. They were like, Stephen, being the new guy, was not shy to throw a jab or two at Kevin <laughs> in terms of letting a ball go in and yeah. vice versa. So it was pretty awesome. But uh, another cool thing is we have four goalies. All four of us are from Kitchener, Ontario. Oh, great. I don't know if that's ever happened before. Or, like, I mean, the fact that four goalies from the same town in the league is probably small. Yeah. But the fact that we're all from the same, you know, town. And Craig Wendy and I went to the same high school, obviously a bit of an age gap. And, yeah. and two, the other two are brothers. It uh, makes for a pretty small world. That is pretty crazy. Because, you know, we have always kind of looked at Orangeville with Nick Rose and, and Dylan Ward as kind of a hotbed for goaltenders. But apparently Kitchener is the new breeding ground for young tenders. What's the what's in the water there, my man? <laughs> Well, and, and it goes back. We had uh, we had Chugger and we Chugger, had yeah, Weather yeah. up. And back in the day when you know the lacrosse world was smaller, we had Matt Disher and Bob Watson playing yeah. for the KW Braves as well. So uh, I, personally, I think the key has been the fact that goalies come back and help other younger goalies. Like I remember being a kid, Chugger was one of my coaches, and uh, Bob Watson would come to practices on other years. And, I mean, he was in Guelph. He wasn't even in Kitchener. But, you know, he would come and help with minor Kitchener um, KW goalies. And uh, I've tried to do that myself. And I know I see Kevin doing that now. Um, Phil Weatherup was my junior A coach. So the key in anything really is, is like, we've been very fortunate with a wealth of goalies coming through the program. But, I mean, it doesn't really help if they don't come back and, and work with the young guys. So um, anybody in the lacrosse world, I think you, you we all see it, like, Everybody yeah. wants to see lacrosse grow, and most guys all go back to their, you know, their junior or minor roots and help with the teams these days. And that's the only way that minor lacrosse is going to get stronger is when people stop asking for, you know, a handout here to do something and go give your yeah. time more back to the young kids. Uh, you talked about 27 year or 2007, your first league year in the league with Toronto, and it's kind of progressed since then. You've had stops in Boston, Calgary, and now your third year with Georgia. Uh, how do you feel about your game and, and where you're at coming, you know, into what's that, your 11th or 12th season in the National Cross League? I mean, times have changed. I've changed. Uh, the league has changed. It's been a pretty wild ride. It actually mm-hmm. dates 
back to uh, – I was actually with the Buffalo Bandits in 2006, so I'm actually going into my, my 14th season now and my fifth organization. Um, I've, I've had – like, man, it's been awesome. It continues to be awesome. Yeah. But, um, the, I mean, we talked about – you asked about how things changed. But like, I just look at the way my game has personally changed, and it's been because of the guys I've been around. Uh, right. When I was younger, people would tell me, watch Anthony Cosmos tape. And then when I actually got to play with him in Boston, that was such a, you know, a transformative year for me. And seeing what Bob Watson was like as a person, um, nothing could have been more important to my development. Just like a goal would go in or we'd lose a game. And I've never seen somebody just shake it off the way he did. And like, just, yeah, well, there you go. Nothing you can do. And as a goalie in a game where you can give up 15 goals and still win, he, uh, you know, learning that from him early on was pretty, pretty key for my development because like many goalies, they used to, you know, be a bit of a head case in a sense of superstitions and mm-hmm. keeping myself in focus. But when you see somebody just in position, he is as one of the greatest goalies of all time. And, and just being able to to stay so calm and cool, it was it was pretty big for me. So um, I've I've just been the beneficiary of being around good people mm-hmm. and being on great teams. Like yeah. I'm the first yeah. one to say I've never been the best goalie in the league, but I've been in some, some of the best situations and. You know, this Georgia team is a great example of that. We might have an off night defensively, or I might have an off night, but by no means are we ever out of it because the offense we've assembled can score you into games. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I, I wanted to talk to you. You, know, you mentioned some of the guys that, that you played with and behind. How important is it for goaltenders, especially young goaltenders in the NLL, to learn from the guys that are in front of them and, and watch their tendencies and watch how they act and, and be a professional uh, in this game? It's it's so important to always be hungry to learn, um, but I think just the biggest thing I've learned over the years, and, and when people ask me, you know, what can you teach a young goalie? It's just to be humble because this sport can really, really knock you down a peg or two when you're when you're a goalie. Yeah. Um, so be hungry to learn and be humble and be kind to you know your teammates, and that's literally how I've tried to to make my career. Um, and one of the things I'm proud about is just being always, you know, a well-liked teammate. Um, so as a goalie, you're, you're, you're always in, um, you know, the spotlight. You, you win a game, it's, you know, usually the guy scoring the goals, and you lose a game, it's, you know, everybody pointing at the guy who lets the ball in. So you always yeah. need to remember uh, what the situation you're in is and, and never be too high and too low. And and when you watch, you know, as a as a – backup goalie or a second goalie and, and a young goalie in the league on a practice roster, um, if you're not learning from the guys ahead of you, you've absolutely wasted the, the opportunity you've been given. And I remember hearing that from Jim Bellman, and mm-hmm. he was the constant leader of the Toronto Rock and, you know, probably all of lacrosse back in the day. And I was on the, I was on the practice roster with Buffalo, and then I came over, and he was talking to me like, wow, you know, you've been behind Chugger, now you're behind Watson. And I was saying, you know, like how great these guys are. And I remember him telling me, if you don't take advantage of this, you've wasted the biggest opportunity in lacrosse. And that's always lived with me because I went from Chugger to Watson to Cosmo. (laughs) And uh, it's not a bad little train of boys to follow. And I remember, you know, I went to Orangeville for my last few years of junior. And the next few guys up were Evan Kirk. Dylan Ward or Nick Rose, then Dylan Ward, and you see the train of guys coming through that junior program now, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just bred there that you just have to fo- like follow suit and learn from the guys ahead of you. 
Um, but there's also a friend, you know, a, a, a competition of, of pushing for that spot. And that's the thing that I try and tell goalies too is, is if you're the number two goalie, don't be content with that. You can be behind yeah. Bob Watson or, or Matt Vince or Mike Poulin or whoever it is. Um, not putting myself in those two guys category, but I'm just using it as a, an example that if you're just content being, you know, there to, you know, to learn from the guy ahead of you and not push for that spot, then again, it's, it's kind of wasting an opportunity because it's going to make your starting goalie better and it's going to make you better. Don't sell yourself short, man. You are one heck of a role model, and I know there's a lot of kids uh, in the KW area especially that, that look up to you and want to be the next Mike Poulin. Um, September, December 15th, first game of the season, taking on the old New England Black Wolves. How excited are you to kind of get this thing started? It's been delayed now, and, and now – you know, we are on the verge of a new season. How jacked are you to get things going? I'm as pumped today as I was getting ready for my first year in the league. It's yeah. um, it's becoming a bit of a rivalry, even the, the Georgia New England matchup, because mm-hmm. these two game teams that always play each other tough. So um, excited to get back into the preparation of a game week. It's funny how kind of Monday came along and, and the, the routine hops right back into how you prepare and, and you know defense meetings and things that you just don't go through training camp uh, normally, but here we go again. And, um, you know, it, it's certainly the whole the whole lifestyle of, of professional lacrosse kicks in again. So it's it's fun. It's exciting. I'm looking forward to our team having a good year and, um, you know, being a part of that. We've talked a lot about uh, the defensive side of the ball for you guys, but how excited are you to watch the offense you guys, you guys have built this year? Obviously losing Hall and King. Uh, and Matisse are big losses, but we've talked about some of the names you brought in. How excited is this offense to get going? They, like, I mean, this group that, that we have is just so exciting to watch. Um, you know, the ball moves so fast. It's uh, it's so cool to be a part of this team, to, to see them on a, on a weekly basis. Uh, not everybody catches Georgia games on, you know, on, on NLL TV or Bleacher Report Live because – there's other stuff going on, but, you know, usually the highlight of the week comes out and there's usually a Georgia uh, play involved in there. They're so exciting. The things that Lyle and Randy and, like, these guys just can do with their, their creativity is unbelievable. And then you match that with the finishing touch of Shane Jackson and you have the shooting power of Holden Katoni. Like, it's going to be a good year up front, I know, for us. Um, you know, there's, there's just so much creativity you can't not. And, um, I think it surprises a lot of people at how how well Dan Lattisor grasps the offensive coaching side of things. But when mm-hmm. I'm when I'm you know in training camp and I like to get as many shots as I can now, so I'll I'll go down with the O guys to get shots when the D is working on systems, and he just sees things like you know that I personally just would never even think to pick up on about delaying your time or, or changing your step or coming around something this way. And and at first I was just like. Laddie, who's in your ear right now? Who's giving you this info? Uh, there's got to be like an O guy. He's like John Tavares yeah. watching practice and telling you about this. Um, but he sees it, and uh, it, it's pretty cool to see that uh, he gives the guys the freedom to do what they what they want to do out there. And but he knows how to to reel them in and, and keep them on the same page. Always a fun chat with Mike Poulin, and giving some ribbing to his O coach Dan Latasseur, former Toronto Rock defender. Uh, another all-round good guy, and we've had Laddie on this show before, and I've ribbed him about his offensive knowledge and where he comes up with this, these things and these plays and 
how he creatively gets this offense to continually put up goals. And when he was on the show last year, he said, you know what? Sometimes I don't even have to tell these guys what to do. They just go out and do it. A little backyard ball. And there's such chemistry between Stotts and the Thompsons and Jackson already since they've been playing for three years together. Laddie doesn't have to do a whole lot. But it is cool to see a defensive-minded player working an odor and having great amounts of success because we've all seen the numbers that the Swarm have put up over the past few seasons offensively since they've gotten down to Georgia. And a lot of credit has to go to Dan Latasur. So um, thanks to Mike Poulin for giving us some time and great insight there for all of you young goaltenders to, to pick a role model, pick a guy, a mentor, to help you move along in your career, to help your development, study a player, watch film, go to games, go to practices, message these guys, reach out to them, ask them questions. Because, like he said, if you're not taking advantage of the moment, you're wasting the opportunity. Great words from Mike Poole and via Jim Veltman. We'll get to Dylan Ward in a little bit. Let's kind of get started on some of these National Lacrosse League rosters that were eventually released. We'll start with the Vancouver Warriors, who were last to put their roster out. Um, and a very interesting-looking club, uh, depending on how you want to look at it, anywhere from 8 to 12 returning players on their team. There are some great young players on that roster. Uh, I love the addition of both of the Porter brothers, Zach and Colton Porter, uh, two Maple Ridge products that have done nothing but let their games mature and grow over the past few seasons. And it's nice, nice to see them finally get a shot. I love Mac Mitchell. He was playing Victoria Shamrock this summer and, and really enjoyed watching him play. Uh, the return of Tyler Codron is one I'm, I'm most happy about for that group. Uh, a guy that was a Colorado Mammoth. I believe he was in Portland as well. And he had a fantastic season with Maple Ridge this summer, and it's great to see him back in the National Lacrosse League. And I think that, um, you know, just his leadership ability on that back end will go a long way, along with guys like Matt Beers and Ian Hawksby, who, and George, and sorry, and Justin Salt, who really are going to be the backbone of that defense. Out the front door, uh, Jean Luc Chetner, Jordan McBride, Dan Lomas. Keegan Ball, all new faces out the front door. And one thing that sort of sticks out at me when I'm looking at this roster, and it's not a personnel decision, it's a numerical decision. And Joel McCready has switched from the number 55 that he had been wearing since he came to Vancouver. And with the release and signing of Reese Dutch in Calgary, the number 10 becomes available, so Joel McCready is switching numbers. And now, while it may not seem like a major thing, I think it's a bit of a slap in the face to Mr. Dutch, who should have his number immediately retired by the organization. He leads the organization, I believe, in almost every offensive category. Uh, he has been with the club ever since they were in San Jose. He was a part of their championship team. In 2010, he has been the heart and soul offensively of this team for over a decade. And to see him move on was a tough pill to swallow for a lot of fans of the Vancouver club. 
and I really believe that honoring the past and the players who have gotten you to where you are are is is something that organizations should always do. And it was last year when the Vancouver Club out Langley finally honored Curtis Hodgson. Um, I've been waiting for them to honor Lewis Ratcliffe, who probably did more for the club than Reese Dutch maybe did. But Reese Dutch and Lewis Ratcliffe really are on the same level when it comes to what they did for the Vancouver organization. And to see someone else other than Reese Dutch wearing number 10 is going to be kind of weird. And I know they're not the stealth anymore. They are now the Warriors, and they feel like they are a brand-new franchise. I really still believe you have to honor the past. So it's hard to see McCready wearing it. I understand why he did it, but I just... It was like when Shatler left Calgary, and right away Zach Courier was wearing 77. Now, I'm not saying Calgary should retire Shatler 77, but there's got to be a little breathing room for some of these clubs to let that number soak and let that number just have its moment so that you can maybe think about, hey, do we want to go ahead and maybe honor this guy for everything that he did? Maybe. Maybe that's a good idea. Some teams like to. Some teams choose not to. And it looks like this new regime in Vancouver is just going to kind of move on from the past and start fresh. Let's head out east to the Rochester Nighthawks, who have announced their roster like everybody else. And this is a team that I'm interested to see how they progress this year. The loss of Matt Vince, I think, is going to be a huge crux for this team. And that's not a shot on Ang Bang 55 between the pipes or Warren Hill, who's going to get a shot to be a backup. But I think it's a major step back between the pipes. And the loss of Vino is going to be something that this team is going to have to figure out quite quickly. Their offense is still incredibly talented, obviously, led by Jameson, Vitarelli, Kyle Jackson, and Austin Shanks. They bring in Pat Saunders. And then on the defensive end, a very big, imposing physical defense. Paul Dawson, Graham Hossack, Ian Lord, Luke Magnin, Scotty Campbell. And then you got some fresh faces. James Barkley, Daryl Robertson, Luke Van Sheppen. Those are guys that are going to have to find a way to fit in and understand how quickly that they can adapt to the National Lacrosse League. And when you got a coach like Mike Hazen working with you, who's been a part of the NLL for nearly 20 years, you can learn a lot from a guy like that. On the injured reserve is Sid Smith, so that'll take some time to get him back. But once they do, another defensive stalwart that they add into the lineup. Um, but like I said, it'll be very interesting to see how this group matures, gels, and moves forward without the man that helped lead them to three straight NLL titles. No Billy D. Smith in Rochester either. And I actually don't believe he is on any roster in the National Lacrosse League right now. So there's a guy that is out there and available. There are people who think this Rochester team, um, as their roster stands right now, is a cup contender. I think they're definitely going to be in the playoff hunt. I'm just not sure that this is a club that can compete with Buffalo and Georgia. Speaking of competing, 
The Saskatchewan Rush are the defending champions, and their roster has gone over a bit of an overhaul as well. It will see some changes once and if they can get guys like Nick Billich, Mike Messenger, and Robert Church signed to contracts. All three of those guys are currently holding out. So you see rookie Connor Robinson in there. Um, Zach Gould has made the practice roster. Jordy Jones-Smith, who was a draft pick a few years ago, has made it, as did Mason Pinn. Tyler Galton, Ryan McClain, Nick Finley, and Matt McGrady will finally see some real minutes in the National Lacrosse League. But the core group at that back end, Mitski, Rubish, Corbeil, Hosick, still there. Offensively, Matthews, McIntosh, Keenan, Shatler, Knight, Dinsdale, still uber, uber talented. It will be very interesting, and this is a very similar sentiment to a team like Calgary, to what decisions GM head coach Derek Keenan will make when he gets those guys back. Because you're going to add Robert Church hopefully eventually, and so that means that someone is going to have to come out of that offense, and it very well may have to be Connor Robinson, unfortunately. When Billich gets back, it could be Penn or Joan Smith. And then defensively, Mike Messenger. So there are three guys that still have to come back into that lineup, into a lineup that is already stacked and talented. Evan Kirk between the net. No Tyler Carlson. Adam Shute will back up Evan Kirk. And Adam Shute finally going to get some real NLL minutes, hopefully. Obviously, Evan Kirk will play the majority of them, but good for Adam Shute to earn that backup spot. He's been trying to get into a regular day roster spot for quite some time. But what I like most about this club is that Derek Keenan, again, we talked without those three main guys, Beelich, Messenger, Church, he's had to tweak some things, and it's not too often you see this many new names in a Saskatchewan roster to start a year. You go back years past, they've maybe made one or two roster adjustments, and it's usually free agent. But because of expansion, because of trading and draft and things like that, they've lost quite a few players. Obviously, Jeff Cornwall is going to be missed, as will Ryan Dilks, but they'll get them back. But as of right now, this rushed roster doesn't look as stacked as it has in past, but it still looks as deep and that is something that all NLL teams have to be wary of because depth has been something that Saskatchewan has always always prided themselves on let's check in one more team out east let's look at the New England Black Wolves roster Um, and this also is a roster that is missing a very big name and that would be Kevin Crowley still yet to be signed by the Wolves And it is a massive, massive hole on that right-hand side. There is some quality talent on that team. You look at a guy like Adam Bomberry, Brett Manny, Andrew Suter, Colton Watkinson. Those are some very tough, big, aggressive, physical defensemen. Of course, you have David Brock in there who has really turned himself into a bit of a goal-scoring defenseman over the past couple years. And I'm, I can't believe that it happened, but losing Greg Downing for the Mammoth is going to be a huge loss, and I know Black Wolves fans are going to absolutely love number eight 
and he is going to be a regular, everyday guy that's going to put up big minutes and could become one of their top shutdown defenders. But offensively, this team has lost some productivity. Obviously, not having Kevin Crowley is huge, but losing Kyle Buchanan in the expansion draft could be even bigger. Uh, Buchanan became their captain. He was a leader for that group, and now all of a sudden, boom, he's gone. They're going to love him in San Diego. They are going to miss him in New England. But they do have some talent and some big bodies. Both 6'3", Callum Crawford, Tyler Digby working that right-hand side. That is going to be very imposing for some teams. I like the addition of J.P. Keeley, a young guy that's finally going to get some looks. Riley O'Connor is starting to come into his own. And maybe, just maybe, Seth Oaks can finally find a rhythm in the Nash Lacrosse League. He's bounced around a bit from New England to Vancouver, back to New England. And this could be the year that he finally gets a solid look and given some confidence and can really start to show why he was a very high draft pick just a couple of years ago. The one area that I think people have concerns about with New England is between the pipes. Uh, Alex Bouquet is there. He came over from Buffalo. And then the other man in between the pipes is the young man, Doug Jamison, who saw minimal minutes last year in his rookie season and is really looking to steal that number one job. I imagine they'll let Bouquet start the season. But he has been hot and cold over the past few years. It'll be interesting to see how short a leash he is given by Glenn Clark and how quickly we could see Doug Jamison in between the pipes on a regular basis. But again, I think Bouquet is going to be their number one guy with Jamison on the back burner. And there are talks that maybe Tyler Carlson could be heading there as he was released by the rush. But one never knows. And we'll just have to wait and see how long general managers wait to start picking players off of the free agent wire now that rosters have been set. I'd imagine teams will take a couple of weeks before they start searching for replacements or holes to fill or tweaking the roster. So that's New England, a team that will do some damage at times, but I still think that they are a body or two away from really being a contender. Again, if you can get back Kevin Crowley, that changes things. But until then, I think they're a few bodies away from being a contender in the East. One more Western team, and it's the new boys, the San Diego Seals. Uh, they won't play till week two when they visit Colorado. Um, but right out of the gate, this is a team that looks very talented on offense. Now, a lot of people were in shock when Joe Walters was released, a guy with not only NLL experience, but Man Cup experience with the Brampton Excelsiors and the Canadian Lacrosse Association. He's a two-time Man Cup winner. The guy knows what it takes. He's won the NLL title before but it was just a business decision by the San Diego Seals to take Zach Miller, Connor Kelly, Austin Stats, Connor Kiernan, Casey Jackson, Turner Evans, along with Dawson and Buchanan. That is a young offense, a very unproven offense, besides Buchanan and Dawson. Turner Evans had a knee injury, missed some time, and started to come into his own with Toronto. Casey Jackson, a guy that a lot of people have high hopes on, but again, 
Not a lot of experience in the NLL. Kiernan, Kelly, Miller, Stotts, all young guys who are looking to make a name for themselves and will have an opportunity under Pat Merrill. Adrian Sorichetti will be sort of their go-to guy in transition. But when you look at this defense right now, it is fast, it is athletic, and it is aggressive. Brandon Cleland was picked up off the free agent wire after Vancouver dropped him a couple of weeks ago. But Cam Holden, Garrett McIntosh, Brody Merrill, Tor Reinhold, Ethan Schott, four or five guys that just love to bang and crash on the defensive end and will give offensive fits, especially in a system run by Pat Merrill that really likes to get after people. And in, in between the pipes, we all know what Frank Giuliano can do, but the nice story is Ryan Hart, sorry, Rylan Hartley, uh, the Orangeville Junior Northman goaltender, obviously very familiar with Pat Merrill and his staff, but for a rookie goaltender to come in to make an NLL roster, to make an expansion NLL roster, that's amazing. And he'll get incredible tutelage underneath Frank Giuliano, who is a pro's pro and really one of the best NLL goaltenders. And I think if he can find some consistency in his game, I really think he's going to give San Diego an edge this year. Uh, I'm sure he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder, as many guys do that were left unprotected going into the expansion draft. And he's going to want to prove that he was worth being held on to. However, until that happens, he's just going to have to go out there and show what he can do. Uh, taking a look at the inactive roster uh, for the Seals, Garrett Billings, Marcus Holman, Brandon Ranford, Connor Fields, Quinn McKay. Just some names that could be rotated in this roster if there are injuries or guys don't work out in the first couple of weeks. And it'll be interesting to see how this team does take shape over the coming week, just like every team. But we really want to pay attention to those expansion clubs because they probably have the most work to do. We'll come back and touch on some of the other NLL teams in a few minutes, but it's now time for our first weekly segment. It'll happen every week as long as he doesn't stand us up. Jingle to bring in our weekly regular guest, Smoke and Patty, Pat Gregoire. How are you, my friend? It's good to be back. I'm I'm glad we've got lacrosse. Uh, I'm glad we can chat again on this show, and uh, you know I'm real fired up to get things going. Thanks for having me. Fired? Yeah, no worries. You should be fired up, like the rest of us, because um, we've had to wait, and we've had to wait, and we didn't know if we were going to have a season. Then games were canceled, but now it is official. Um, we are underway in just a few short days. What are you most excited for uh, as the 2018-2019 season kicks off? You know what? There, there's a lot to be excited for. Obviously, the easy answer, the cliche answer, is just the fact that we're getting a season. But 
that that is really the one thing I'm looking forward to is just mm-hmm. the fact that you know at times it was looking not great that we were even going to have have a season. But uh, you know I have a few storylines that I'm really looking forward to, and the one thing that I'm looking to, and I, I think we were talking about it a lot, uh, you know, heading into that expansion draft and with the two new expansion teams. Uh, the one thing for me is some of these Americans that are now going to be given the box game a try. And uh, you, you look at a team like the Philadelphia Wings, uh, you know, three guys that really jump out to me, Matt Rambo, Trevor Baptiste, and Adam Osika. Those are three guys that made that roster. They're going to be full-time players. Uh, but the one that I'm really looking forward to see is Matt Rambo. I mean, Ooh. since since the expansion draft, I mean, it, it seemed like Philly made it pretty clear that this guy was going to be one of the faces of the franchise. And that's great. I mean, it makes sense. The guy's from Philly, um, and, you know, he's, he's a star in the field game. But the big question mark is, is he going to be able to play? And from, from what I've heard uh, around the organization and guys that have, you know, played with him and practiced with him, uh, it sounds like he's going to, you know, make the transition pretty well. Even uh, at the Man Cup, I was talking to Paul Day and uh, was asking about about Rambo and some of the other guys, and he could not speak hot, more high of Rambo. He was saying him and uh, Jordan Hall were, were doing a lot of uh, off-season working on their two-man game, uh, showing kind of the pick and roll, the inside game, stuff that the field lacrosse players don't really know. But even when you watch some of the film of, of Rambo, he's a short, stocky guy, loves to crash and bang, he's shifty, and he just seems like he's a guy that's going to be able to transition really well into the game. I think he might be a very Jake Berge-esque style player. Yeah. Uh, obviously, going back in the day, the Philadelphia Wings, Berge was uh, a local guy. His dad was a Philadelphia Eagle. The name is synonymous mm-hmm. with Philly sports, and he was just uh, an exceptional American player in the inner game with just how he played it. He's very similar to Matt Rabble. Like you said, short, stocky, and if he can pick the game up uh, quickly enough, and if guys like Kyle Matisse and Jordan Hall and the likes of their leadership group can help bring those Americans along quicker, I think that'll go a long way. What do you think, because you're around a lot of these guys and you're around the, the game a lot, what do you think the toughest aspect of the indoor game is for the Americans to pick up because everyone's got their own idea whether it's a two-man game or or working in a in a five-man box defensive system what do you think these guys have to struggle with the most I I think it is the fact that you know you're condensing the game it's and everything is quicker everything is more in tight and you know with the field game it's a little more methodical you have more time to think read and react when you're in the box everything's right on top of you. I think it's easier. It's not easy. I shouldn't say it's easy, but it is easier for defenders maybe to learn the game because they can rely on their pure athleticism where, you know, in the, in the offensive game, I mean, you have to be good in tight. You have to be able to catch, uh, you know, those quick passes from, from the inside. You have to be used to taking a beating. You're getting hacked and waxed and cross checked, which you're not used to in the field game. And, you know, Thinking of a guy who, who I've also, you know, seen and now heard from a lot of people, Connor Kelly, you know, in San Diego. He's a guy that his skill set just transitions so, so smoothly. He's a guy that does well on the inside, of course, in the field game. But with the minimal box experience this guy had, he was at the Lazne, and, you know, in his first ever indoor game, he had three goals and two assists. Mind you, the Lazne, you know, the Lazne is not the highest, like, competitive level and 
you know, it's a fun tournament for a lot of people. There are some men on allers there, but, you know, he really impressed people. And it wasn't just the fact that he was a great athlete. He got a good outside shot, you know. It, it was the fact that he was so good and tight, you know, was was crashing and banging, was playing well in the two-man game, and he's a guy there that it looks like he has those skill sets. So for him, it's going to now be thinking the game on the inside and be able to read and react. But as you mentioned, uh, you know, with a guy like Matt Rambo having, you know, some veterans around him in, in San Diego, he, he's got, you know, Dan Dawson right on, uh, you know, alongside him, teaching him the ways and even the coaching staff and the management that they have there with, you know, Sanderson. And, and of course, uh, you know, uh, and they also have, um, you know, it, it, it's just, you, you look, you look at some of the other players on that roster too that are going to be able mm-hmm. to help out. The one, the one thing that kind of shocked a lot of people when we talk about Americans with experience, because not a lot of them have them, it was the experience that Joe Walters had going into that camp. Yeah. He's won yeah. man cups, he's won NLL titles, and everybody thought that he would be a piece of their puzzle. And speaking with Steve Govett, uh, it was a business decision. Uh, they're happy with their left side with, with Jackson and uh, Turner Evans, and the obviously Austin Stats is going to be an absolute stud. So, uh, you know, an American with experience becomes, mm-hmm. you know, was left out when everyone thought he was going to be a go-to guy. So uh, it's interesting to see young Americans getting chances and how they will succeed if it takes them one game and they're right into it, or if it maybe takes them two or three games. Um, you know, like we've seen Keir McCardle uh, struggle in his first few games, but finally mm-hmm. pick it up. Or, or is he going to be a Tom Schreiber and just absolutely step into the game and be absolutely phenomenal right out of the gate? Uh, we've talked about Americans. Let's talk about some guys that lacrosse fans throughout the indoor world really know very well. And those are guys like Curtis Dixon, Westberg, Robert Church, Mike Messier, mm-hmm. Kevin Crowley, Nick Bielich, all guys holding out right now. Uh, what are their statuses? What do you know? Uh, are lacrosse fans going to see some of the top five, six, seven players in the NLL in rosters this weekend? It, you know what? From from what I've heard, some of those players they're real close to making deals, and I've heard Robert Church um, is very close to you know inking a deal there. But some of the other players, from what I've heard, it's still pretty far, and a lot of fans should expect that. They might be missing a couple of games, and probably this weekend, especially if you think of guys like, you know, Dixon and Berg with uh, Calgary, you know, kicking off their season this weekend. And those are two guys that, I mean, heading into this season before a few weeks ago, just assuming those guys were going to get inked up, I was thinking the Calgary Roughnecks were a dark horse in the West to, to win the West and go on to the NLL Cup Finals. I mean, you look at the, the defense so fast. They, you know, they moved the ball so well. Christian Del Bianco had a, you know, breakout season and, you know, having him back there, it's like having another transition player with mm-hmm. how well he can throw the ball. Their offense, uh, I mean, their offense was, was fantastic in the postseason uh, last year, but without Dixon and without Berg, that offense looks, you know, pretty average. But mm-hmm. you put those two guys in there, I, I think they're a championship team. Um, and, and those are two guys that uh, they can certainly swing. And I know for a fact there are other GMs in the league that have made calls about both those players trying to get them on the roster because they know a guy like Curtis Dixon, he can completely turn your team into a championship contender. And if you can get your hands on him, there's no doubt uh, that you've immediately improved your offense. Yeah, 100%. And it's just interesting to see now with, 
you know, the, the new CBA sign and, and possible long-term stability for the league, you'd think you'd see some guys starting to sign some more long-term deals. We haven't really mm-hmm. seen it quite yet. You know, Westberg's coming off a one-year deal. Dixon's coming off a three-year deal. So it'll be interesting to see what Calgary does. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, what the situation with Kevin Crowley is. Obviously, New England would love to have him in their lineup, but I'm sure, like you said, there are other GMs that would love to have those types of guys on their roster. Do you think we'll see much change in rosters with all these guys released now until once every team plays a few games, or do you think teams will stand by Pat pretty quickly? Yeah, I, I you know, I think for the most part, I think teams are gonna sit there and because they know that that the team who's making the deal, they're they're basically, you know, they're they're in the driver's seat. They know this player doesn't want to play. So they're not going to offer the farm and completely clean house for, for these guys. And the, the other team, the teams that are sitting uh, or having the guys sit out, they know, well, we can't lose this guy for, you know, just this amount. They want to get the most that they can out of those players because, yeah, they are losing them. But maybe there's going to be some GMs who think, well, if this guy's going to sit out, I might as well get something for him. So it, it, it's a really, really tricky situation. And, I mean, we saw Westberg sit out. Uh, last year as well we, we've seen sit-outs and we've seen guys hold out before I just don't know if we've ever seen that this many good players sit out at the same time so I think that's why it just it's it's so crazy Philly or San Diego who has the better season in their inaugural season <laughs> that is the tough one I think at the start of the expansion or at the end of the expansion draft I said Philly you know, did a fantastic job picking up some some veteran guys, um, you know, guys that have been proven goal scorers. You know, a, a guy like Josh Courier, who had an outstanding NLL Finals, uh, Kyle Matisse, uh, you know, just a, a perfect five-tool player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, even a guy like Frank Brown, who I'm really big on, a def- defensive guy uh, that's learning that defender role still, uh, you know, can transition the ball well. But – and you look at San Diego, though. I mean, they brought in some some veterans. You know, grabbing uh, you know Bucky from New England, I thought that was a great deal. He's a guy that had an unbelievable summer um, with the Peterborough Lakers. He was, you know, he crashes, he bangs, picks up loose balls. He's a real glue guy, but he put up some big numbers, and I think he was ready to, you know, be a top contributor. So he went out there. All that being said, both teams, the, the rosters, looking at them now, I, I could see it going either way. I, the only thing for me is I think the East is just so tight. I think it's so competitive. I, I honestly could see any team in the East either making the postseason or, or missing at this point. Whereas with the West, I mean, you have three real solid teams, and then maybe you have a couple other squads in Vancouver and San Diego battling for you know not being in last place so i think maybe you see those two i mean you see the teams have very similar records but maybe san diego has a better chance just because of you know them playing and they might not end up in the in last place in the west but Mm -hmm. uh it it, it is so tough to say but if i had to pick one I'll, i'll go with san diego it's probably the wise choice right now just looking at roster makeup looking at Go from goaltenders on out. I think San Diego may be better yeah. built for right now. Yeah. I think Philly in a couple of years, once those young guys mature and learn the game a little bit more and get into Paul Day's system, I think that team 
has a bright future. But right now, I think where San Diego sits, they're in a better spot to have immediate success. Uh, you talked yeah. about uh, Bucky and his year with the Peterborough Lakers. Obviously, late last night, news came out uh, from our good buddy Jesse Thomas and all those guys covering things in Peterborough. They had their council meeting, and it does sound like the Peterborough Memorial Center is going to go under basically a facelift. And it sounds like the Peterborough Lakers are going to be without a home for the 2019 season. There's even talk, and this blows my mind, that they might just take the summer off and not play at all. What do you know? What are you hearing? What the heck is going on in the borough? It's it's pretty crazy that we've got to this point because last year, while the Man Cup was going on, a lot of talks in council were going on, and they finally got approved to have that second opinion come in and see if the floor – could, um, you know, if they could see if the, if the costs would be, you know, enough or if, if it makes sense for this floor for the reconstruction, um, rather not getting the entire floor reconstructed. But uh, it, it seems like obviously it was a pretty near unanimous vote, 9-2, the, the councillors voted that, uh, that they were going to completely repair the floor. So that means that that completely takes out the summer um, for the Peterborough Memorial Center, meaning that, yeah, like you said, the Lakers are without a home. They have the Evinrude uh, Center, which is not nearly big enough for, for the Lakers fans to to go out and, and support their team. And th- that, that's the thing with this Lakers or, uh, team and organization. They are the heart and soul of major series lacrosse. I mean, they, they bring in so many people throughout the year. They have a ton of local sponsors and those local sponsors aren't going to, I mean, I shouldn't say all of them, but some of them have already said to the Lakers, you know, we're not going to be able to sponsor you. if We're not going to have that many butts in the seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, they expect, uh, you know, they're forking out money to have their, their name attached to the Lakers or ha- be one of the sponsors. How are they going to do that when, you know, there's only 250 fans in yeah. the seats if they're playing at a smaller venue like the Evan Root or, you know, there was chats of having an outdoor arena uh, be the location, which is wild to think yeah. of. But I, I don't know. Do you, do you have – I think it's crazy to say just not have a season and have them sit out. Um, I'm sure every other team in major series lacrosse might be a little bit happy about that. But <laughs> yeah, no doubt. That, that's a lot of money not going into the into the league. So, uh, like I said, they are the heart and soul. They bring in so much money for that league, and it would be devastating for MSL, and it would be devastating for the game of lacrosse in Ontario, to be quite honest. It, it was a shock when I saw Jesse's tweet that they might not even play. Yeah. They might go to the Evinrude Center. Uh, people are trying to find uh, an answer, but it just – it's crazy that, you know, much like the CD, it's crazy that it's gotten to this point and that we're actually having this conversation. But yeah. uh, unfortunately for the Peterborough Lakers, they're without a home for the 2019 season. So uh, we'll have to keep you on the beat to figure out what the heck is going to go on and, and what they're going to do next year. Uh, Mr. Pat Gregoire joining us every week, and this is the first week of May. Thank you, my friend. Great stuff, and we'll talk to you in a week's time. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for having me. Pat Gregoire joining us. Every week, always great insight. We're going to put him to the test. We're not going to let him off with easy stuff. We're going to make him work for his food here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. But you can find him on Twitter at pgreggy. And he keeps his eyes on everything. He's allowed to 
comb through the ins and outs of the National Lacrosse League and get some inside information for us, sometimes that we are unable to get here on the show. We usually know most things, but Pat does a wonderful job of getting some of those other little inside tidbits that we all like to know. Uh, we're definitely going to have to keep our eyes on the Peterborough situation. Obviously, with the NLL and season now, it kind of gets put on the back burner, but that will be a major developing story as the summer nears. I just can't imagine an MSL season without the Peterborough Lakers. Play outside. Play in Buffalo. Play in somewhere. Don't skip a season. And if you do skip a season, I'll take Jim Else's words, and you should all come to Victoria for the summer. It's a great place. We've got a pretty good team. Great barn. Great atmosphere. Great fans. Great food. Great lacrosse. So just a little teaser. And if any of you borough boys... Want a fun summer? Come out west. It's a good spot to hang out. Uh, let's get to uh, a couple more teams here uh, in the National Lacrosse League that have announced their roster. Let's go to the Calgary Roughnecks because we kind of talked about them a little bit earlier when we were mentioning the Saskatchewan situation. Um, this is a team that I think a lot of people had high hopes for this year, and people still have high hopes for them. But if you don't have Curtis Dixon and you don't have Wes Berg in the lineup, it takes a big chunk out of your roster. Two of your most prolific, if not your most prolific right-handed scores, and you take them out of your roster, that's a massive loss. Bringing in Reese Dutch is a nice little boost. And having Tyler Pace for parts of the season will be good. But offensively, without Dixon and without Berg, that offensive right-hand side takes a bit of a knock. Chris Bushy, uh, a rookie who's come in, uh, will see some time. He'll get a lot of looks. But if, if and when a deal gets done for Berg and or Dixon, he's most likely first to go. Um, I'm super stoked for a guy like Jesse King to be closer to home. Uh, here in Victoria, playing for Calgary. He was with Georgia last year, came over in the deal for Holden Katoni, and a deal that kind of works out for both guys, East and West, uh, a deal that often gets done in the National Lacrosse. We've talked about that many a times. Offensively, this team, I think, may struggle without those two guys. Defensively, I think they're going to be just fine. They are a fast, physical, big defense. When you have guys like Chad Cummings, Anthony Kalinich, um, Tyson Bell, uh, Reese Callies, who is a rookie who stands, I think, like 6'6 or 6'7 or something like that. guy's a monster. Um, put him along, Chad Cummings and Mitch Wild and Anthony Kalinich. You have some big physical bodies that play defense and will push you all over the floor and not let you any chance to get inside on Christian Del Bianco. And Kurt Miloski's club, as always, a team that is a perennial contender for an NLL championship. This will be a big year for Calgary, I think. 
and not in terms of success. I just think this group of guys have been together for quite a while now. And if they can't get over the hump, maybe things have to change. I don't know what, but I think something might have to change. This is a very talented group, but I think they need to go a little further. They need to take the next step. But unfortunately, as Colorado's found out and as Calgary's found out and most other teams in the NLL have found out, getting through Saskatchewan is no easy task. This may be the year because the Rush are missing some bodies. But in a year of expansion and two new teams and roster over turnovers, it's going to be tough for everybody. I don't think there is one clear favorite out there. And I think Calgary, if they can get Berg and Dixon back, really have a shot. Without them, their chances decrease exponentially. But a very physical, fast, aggressive defensive transition team will move the ball up to a very offensive unit. Guys who love to shoot the ball. Guys who can get to the middle of the floor. I'm a huge Dan Taylor fan. Uh, him and Jesse King and Dane Doby are going to work exceptionally well together. Obviously, Riley Lone is there as well. So they're probably going to go strong left until they figure out their right-handed situation, um, which isn't something you see too often in the National Lacrosse League. So it'll be a different look for some defenses. So be careful of Calgary. And I don't think you can sleep on any team in the National Lacrosse League, obviously. Um, and Calgary is a team that sneaks up on everybody. Uh, I got a chance to see Tyler Burton walk in the streets here in Victoria uh, today, and we had a good chat. He's excited to get back into it. I'm going to get him on the show in a couple of weeks, and we'll talk to him. But uh, he's excited. He, he thinks his defense and his group are going to do wonderful things. Uh, they were just excited to get back at it. They have Vancouver this weekend to start their season, and that is always an interesting game to watch. Vancouver at Calgary Saturday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. local time in Alberta. And I think that is going to be, I think the three games that we get this weekend are going to be a big litmus test for all the teams. Uh, Buffalo at Philadelphia kicking things off 1 o'clock on Saturday. And then we get the night game of New England at Georgia. You heard Pooley talking about how they just kind of have a natural rivalry with each other. And we all know the rivalry Calgary and Vancouver have had in the past. And it's only going to be amped up that much more with the fact that Vancouver is such a heavy WLA team. But this Calgary club, don't sleep on them. They'll be very, very tough to beat. Like I said, especially, especially if they can get a couple of their guys back into the lineup. Let's check out the Toronto Rock roster. Um, a roster that lost some bodies but brought in some excellent help. And their offense is going to see a lot of the same faces. Dan Craig, Rob Hellier, uh, Adam Jones, Danny Littner, McArdle, Schreiber. Uh, the addition of Johnny Palace is going to help bring some consistency to that left-hander side because outside of Adam Jones, uh, they really struggled last year. Dan Craig was a bright spot, but I believe he got hurt um, partway through the year and his numbers kind of dipped. Kieran McArdle was in and out of the lineup, so bringing in Johnny Palace is a great addition. Everyone's talking about Phil Caputo getting a chance. 
to get some full minutes out the front door. Tom Schreiber, the guy is just a beast and a phenom, and I'm interested to see how his progress in the indoor game continues, if he can take his game to another level. Uh, Nick Rose will be the number one guy between the pipes. No Brandon Miller, so Riley Hutchcraft will be the backup. And I think that, like some other teams in this league, that is a big area of focus. I'm a Nick Rose fan. Uh, He's a great person. He does incredible things for the community in the Toronto GTA area. And he's a wonderful goaltender. And if he can stay hot and keep his team in games, they may not have to rely on Hutchcraft that much. But if Nick Rose stumbles and falters a little bit, there will be a lot of pressure on young Riley, who I think has maybe seen 30 seconds or a few minutes of NLL time last year. But I really, really like the Toronto defense. Uh, We are seeing more and more physical, athletic D guys. And not just the bang and crash stay-at-home guys. Guys like Sheldon Burns, Edwards, Latrell Harris, Hostrauser, uh, Challen Rogers, Creighton Reed, Brad Cree. These guys will beat you up, strip you, and then run the floor. And a lot of people expect big things from Challen Rogers coming off his MVP season in the MSL. I, too, am interested to see where he takes his game, just like Tom Schreiber. Where is the next step for those two guys? Challen Rogers is an absolute threat in transition. Maybe uh, one of the, or sorry, he is guaranteed hands down. He is one of the top four, top three, two-way guys in the National Cross League. And a lot of times once he crosses center, once he crosses that restraining line, he likes to pull up and fire a bomb from the outside with tremendous accuracy. But he has the ability to get inside, score highlight real goals, And he's a guy that is going to have a lot of eyes on him, especially once he runs the floor. So that's a Toronto team that I think is definitely going to contend if they can stay healthy, which has often been their biggest issue. If they can stay healthy, they are definitely going to be contenders in the East. We talked to Mike Poole of the Georgia Swarm a little bit earlier, and they have a team that I think will definitely push for a title this year. Uh, They've added some pieces on the back end, like Adam Weidman, Matt Dunn, Brendan Bomberry, Joel Tinney, uh, and Poulin said those guys fit in right away. Uh, Everybody's going to have eyes on Matt Dunn just to see how quickly he adapts to the indoor game. Holden Katoni will fill the spot left by Jesse King as they were swapped for each other. Zed Williams will get more minutes out the front door. But I think the one thing that kind of was curious to me, and and we talked about this with Mike Poulin, is that they have four goaltenders, two starters on the main roster, Kevin Orleman and Poulin, and then two on the practice squad in Kevin's brother, Stephen Orleman, and Craig Wendy. And Craig Wendy was an absolute stud at the President's Cup this past summer. He brought tons of eyes on him, and his stock rose. And, And it's crazy to see a team carry four goaltenders. And... Maybe they are protecting for expansion next year. Maybe they just want depth. Maybe they want inner competition. But it just seemed weird to me for a team to only carry two spare runners. Now, we haven't seen their holdout list or their IR squad, so there may be some guys that are there that can come in and out and move in. But 
to carry four goaltenders. A little odd to me. But when you got guys like Miles Thompson, Lyle Thompson, Randy Stotts, Shane Jackson, I think your offense is going to be the bigger stress for teams, not whether you're carrying two, three, or four goaltenders. Teams are going to have to find a way to stop that free-flowing swarm offense because if they don't, they are going to put up a lot of goals. Philadelphia Wings, as mentioned, they will start their first season in, what, four seasons? They are back. They are back in the NLL, and GM head coach Paul Day has created a roster that he feels is young, athletic, and aggressive. And a lot of people are looking at this defense of theirs and saying, man, there's a lot of guys who don't have full-year experience in the NLL. A lot of guys that may struggle. Heck, Chet Konezny hasn't played in the NLL in, I think, three years. I think the last time he played was when he was a member of Colorado, and he had that he was part of that epic line brawl fight with Buffalo. They do have some quality D guys out the back end. I'm a huge Frank Brown fan. Uh, Zach Reed has come over from Buffalo. He was picked up in the expansion draft. He's going to be huge. I think Dylan Evans, uh, who's going to be one of their assistant captains, is a nice piece on that back door. Um, but young guys like Steph Charbonneau, uh, Yoakam Miller, who's going to get a shot. The Finn is going to get a chance in the National Lacrosse League. Trevor Baptiste, Adam Osika, Young guys with very little NLL experience who are going to have to pick up the game real quick, real fast to figure out if they can hang. But if anybody can get an American or young guy to buy in and get themselves focused, it's going to be Paul Day. I'm super stoked to see Matt Rambo. Um, I hope they play every Rambo theme song every time he scores. I'm just super stoked for Philadelphia to be back in the National Lacrosse again. I hope that Saturday it is a jam-packed arena. They're playing Buffalo. Like, that is just so perfect. The kickoff this year, Buffalo-Philly in Philly, the return of the Wings. There's just so many good things that could happen there. Uh, the one area, we talked about it uh, with a couple other teams, is goaltending. Uh, Doug Buckin, David DeRuscio. Uh, DeRuscio missed pretty much all of last season after hurting himself in, I think, the opening game of the year. And we haven't seen him since. He is now back. It'll be interesting to see how him and Doug Buckin work, who's going to be the number one. If Chris Collins is going to be called in action, he's on their practice squad. Uh, the young American goaltender who has really bided his time and tried to crack a roster, he's made the practice roster for the Wings. So um, I don't know, man. I, I want to say the Wings will be good, but or will be contenders. I'm just not sure they're there yet. I think they still have some time to build, and I think in one or two years, then they will be a team to be feared and a team to be forced to really do some serious scouting on, but not quite yet. They're not quite there yet. We're going to speak with Dylan Ward in just a few minutes, but let's take a look at the Colorado Mammoth roster. Seven first-round draft picks on their starting 21. Tons of depth, tons of experience. The return of Dan Coates, who missed all of last year with a knee injury. 
This team is deep. They only add two new bodies from the to the team last year. Don't count Dan Coates. He was out. Where the two new faces are out the back door and John Lentz and rookie Julian Garitano. And that bodes well for Colorado. I think that is a mindset that Dan Carey went into camp with. They wanted to have little turnover, keep familiar faces, and fill holes where they needed to. And adding the size of John Lentz and Julian Garitano are massive. I think those guys, I think Garitano will take some time to get in. Probably same with Lentz. But those guys are reliable guys that Pat Coyle can lean on. But I think the return of Dan Coates, the ability of Dylan Ward, and the cohesiveness out that front door for Colorado are going to be the three biggest things to watch because this is a team that needs to get over the hump of the semifinals. They need to get past Saskatchewan. A regular season win or two against the Rush this year will go a long way. They don't play the first weekend. They have until the 22nd till they get onto the floor in Colorado. They will take on the San Diego Seals. And goaltender Dylan Ward is just, well, he's pretty much ready to go. Uh, it's very exciting. You know, there's a bit of a bit of a wild off season there. Um, you know, a lot of things happening. Obviously, you know, the CBA issue got resolved, which was good. Uh, and we got, you know, I think we got an eager group. We're, uh, we're excited for, for this upcoming season. What was your mentality going through the whole CBA? Were you heavily involved? Did you want to stay far away from it? Uh, were you just trying to stay focused on your own stuff? Um, you know, I was I was staying involved with it as much as possible. But at the end of the day, you know, we we pay into to a union for a reason, and I trusted them and in the decision making. And you know, and then on the other side of things, I just needed to make sure that I was uh, in the best shape that I could be in for for when uh, everything got resolved, and I think I did a pretty good job of doing that. Being in, in Denver for the year, how did you keep yourself game ready so that you could be ready once camp started? Yeah, uh, I think we got a great uh, a great trainer in, uh, in uh, Joel Rayler. He does a, does a really good job with us. He, he makes sure that we're, uh, we're on a program that we need to be on and to, to be ready for, for camp, and I think uh, this, this year I felt the best that I felt in, in the last couple coming in. So I'm, I'm excited about where I'm at. And I think, you know, we had uh, a great group of guys come into camp and really push each other. And, you know, I personally, I think we look, we look great uh, uh, physically. So it'll be, it'll be fun moving on here. It's interesting to see that even with expansion and everything that happened during the off season, uh, Jim, Dan Carey and Pat Coy, your head coach, didn't make a lot of changes to the roster. Obviously, you lose holding and sweeting in the expansion draft, uh, but you get Dan Coates back and, and just two new bodies uh, of Lintz and Garitano coming in. How much does the cohesiveness of this group um, pay off going forward? I think that's a big part of it. You know, we have, we really like what we have in our room um, in terms of just the group of guys that we have. You know, we don't, we're not, we don't have, you know, separate clicks in there. We, you know, it's one group. You know, we're always we're always chatting. The group chat's always a little lively. Um, when we're here on weekends, you know, we're all we're all doing the same things. You know, everyone's going to lunch at the same places. And people, we're hanging out with each other. You know, we're just we're just a great group. We have a, good, a lot of good personalities, and you know that goes a long way to to what we do on the floor. I'm excited with 
with the group that we have. I'm excited that we didn't lose a lot and there wasn't a lot of turnover. I, I really like the, the talent that we have. And I think, you know, the, the having a very similar group to last year is going to go a long way. We spoke with Dan Coates on the podcast last week, and he was just super excited that he was back and he was healthy. And I've heard quotes from Pat Coyle, and I've talked with Dan Carey, but as a goaltender and, and as a guy that relies on the defense in front of him, how important is it for you to have a guy like Dan Coates back in the lineup? Yeah, it's awesome. You know, the guy has worked so hard to get back to, to where he is today, and, you know, he looks awesome. I, I've been training with him quite a bit here in Denver during, you know, the offseason and leading into training camp, and the guy has just worked so hard. Um and has dedicated so much time and effort into into his recovery. And I'm very excited for the season that he's about to have. Um, there's no, you know, the, he, I put him in that top echelon of, of defenders in this league, and there's no reason why he shouldn't be a, uh, a candidate for Defender of the Year by the end, by the end of the season. Uh, that's how highly I think of him. What did you think of the new look of Andrew McBride, and what does he bring uh, from a defensive aspect as a coach? You know, like, he's just another set of eyes. Um, obviously, you know, Pat, Cal- Pat Coyle's the, the general, and he uh, he oversees just about everything. But, you know, just having another set of eyes to to uh, work with the defense and, you know, almost get to focus on, you know, little things here and there rather than the, the, the broad picture like Pat Coyle has to is, uh, is a big help. And, you know, obviously we haven't had a ton of time uh, mm-hmm. to work together, but – the, so far, it's been been great. We've had a, a great dialogue on you know things that he wants to do, and you know kind of things that I I I feel comfortable with, and um, I, I I'm excited to work with them moving forward. You guys had a couple exhibition games this weekend over in Toronto. Uh, we don't need to worry about scores because that's not the important thing. How did you feel uh, your team came together over those three last days in Toronto? I think it was great. You know, obviously. Um, like you said, the, the scores don't really matter, but at the end of the day, we are competitors, so we weren't, you know, overly happy of the fact that we lost both of them. But, you know, we it, it's all part of the process, and we want to get better every time we're on the floor, and I think we did just that this weekend. You know, we got to, to put some new guys in to some situations to see how they would respond. You know, we got a look at uh, our veterans and returners, see where they're at, and I think you know, we, we did a, a great – we accomplished what we wanted to this weekend in terms of, you know, seeing who, who we could slide in there and, you know, where we want guys to, to be playing and, uh, you know, just a, a new look at our, our new systems with two uh, new assistant coaches. Has there been much change in the system or is it staying fairly similar on that back end? You know, I wouldn't say uh, it's, a, it's a huge overhaul, but, you know, I think we, we're tweaking some things here and there that, you know, put – put us at a better position for success and, you know, give uh, myself and, and Fryer a, a, a place where we can succeed as well. So, it, I, like I said, I wouldn't uh, expect to see a, whole, a real big difference in the back end, but just things here and there. How important is the relationship between a starting goaltender and his backup? Uh, I think it's huge, you know. Fryer, uh, Fryer and I have a great relationship. He, uh, he elected to move down here for the season two, which is awesome, and you know, we're we're literally talking to each other every day, whether it's uh, at the gym, you know, taking shots uh, with the with the local guys here, um, or just hanging out outside of the office. We have a great relationship, uh, and you know, 
we we have each other's back. You know, when when uh, I'm playing, he's uh, he's my biggest cheerleader. He's he's making sure I've got what I need, and um, you know, he's he's giving me pointers here and there where where I need to you know change something up or what he's seen from their offense. And you know, same thing when he's in. I I I want nothing for the best for him, and he he's ultimately he's a great goalie. So mm-hmm. to be able to have him uh, sitting behind me to to give us that. Um, you know, that in, in case something does happen to me or I'm not having a bad night, to know that we have C-Fryer uh, ready to go is, is a huge, uh, huge boost to us. Is he still pumping his own tires when he's in between the pipes? Oh, yeah. He's got, he's got <laughs> his little deep, uh, deep cheers going on in there. Um, I was talking with Mike Poulin uh, earlier, and he mentioned, you know, how good it was for him growing up. Uh, when he first got in the National Cross League, to have guys like Whipper Watson and Chugger and Cosmo sort of be his mentors as he got his feet wet into league. Um, you're still the highest drafted goaltender at third overall. You kind of came into this league and went right at it. How important do you think it is to have mentors and role models as a young goaltender? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was a little different for me. You know, I was a little bit more of a child by fire. But, um, you know, this day and age, it's so easy to access people. And, you know, I have a, a pretty good network of, of guys that I'm connected with in terms of, you know, Nick Rose, who I played junior with, Brandon Miller, who, you know, came out and helped me out when I was literally in, like, novice and peewee. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I played with Vino and played with Mike Poulin in senior. So I, even though I didn't have necessarily a mentor to sit behind in the NOL when I first got there, I've had, I have great relationships with a lot of, you know, top top level goalies that I've been able to to ask questions uh, uh, to, and you know, kind of look at how they prepare for games, and and kind of you know learn that uh, that way. Is there one key message that you send to young goaltenders? Because I know you and and Nick Rose and Kirky have your chances across camp for goaltenders. Uh, what do you guys talk about as sort of the biggest lesson for young goaltenders? Yeah, for me, you know, I I always preach that, you know, to get out of your comfort zones. Because the biggest thing for me is I'm working, for the most part, I'm working with American goalies who are, are field goalies, and they don't really know the benefits they can get from box. So, you know, trying to get them out of their comfort zone, try to try out the the, the box goalie position and, you know, just try new things. And, and it's, a, it's a great sport. Um, you know, I think it has – a lot of aspects that, that cross over into the field game. And for me, it's more or less just you know, trying to, to, to convince these the American goaltenders that there are benefits for them that will translate over to their field game, which they ultimately play uh, more often. Yeah, I guess that, that's kind of an interesting aspect because, you know, you look at, you know, um, coaches saying for, for box players or for field players, play box, your sticks will get better, you'll be able to, you know, pass and catch this type of situation. What's the correlation and transition between box and field goalie? I think the biggest thing is positioning, right? And, yeah. and box across, right, as a goaltender, you need to, to be very well positioned because all, you're taking up a lot of the cage already with equipment. And uh, these shooters and boxers are so skilled, and they're able to hit these corners, and you need to be in, the, in great position to, to stop that. And, and field across, I find, especially with younger goalies, they – they tend to move around quite a bit just because it's such a big net and they, uh, their instincts are to, to, to move around and, you know, to play box and to be settled and to be square and focusing on that. I think that translates over to the field game very well. 
And then also just on inside shots, you know, boss, you're obviously seeing shots from, um, you know, eight yards to right on the doorstep all, all night rather than field across. You, you're seeing more from the outside. But when you do see that inside, uh, those inside shots, I think having a box background helps with those those natural instincts to try to get literally any part of your body on the ball rather than um, always trying to get your stick on that ball. That's a fantastic point. Uh, are you still at Rock Canyon? I am, Still yeah. with that program? How How is that group doing? Uh, it's good. You know, we, uh, we're, we're making strides, I think. You know, now that we're we're coming into our third year, John Glenn is the head coach. You know, we're coming into our third year. We kind of got the the systems in that we want to play. You know, we've got kind of built a culture that we're we're trying to to spread for years to come in in our uh, our school. And you know, I think we're we're heading in the right direction. How many guys uh, are now coaching down there? Um, you know, it's right now it's me myself. Uh, Taylor Stewart and Ryan Lee were helping out with uh, Brent Adams at Highland Ranch. They were doing the, the the junior varsity program, so that Brent Adams is also on. Uh, yeah. Coachy was uh, was coaching the, uh, the defense at Regis. Um, as in terms of players right now, I think that is that's it. Yeah, but I think that, that's that's so cool that you guys are. Not only that you guys have relocated to Denver, but you're ensconced in the lacrosse community. People obviously know who you guys are right away when they see you. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's cool. It's, uh, you get to build great relationships with these families and, the, you know, most importantly with these kids. Um, and then, like you said, you see them at games and they know they, they know who we are outside of lacrosse already. They get to come see, see us play at the highest level. Uh, it's it's a, It's cool to be a part of it. You know, now that I've been here for coming up on six years, uh, I've seen kids go from, you know, middle school, elementary school, and high school, and now going into college. And, you know, it, it, it's pretty satisfying to see a kid that you've worked with take his game to that next level and, you know, sometimes heading off into to playing college. It's, uh, it's really satisfying and pretty really cool experience. We've seen Holden Katoni go from a, a roughneck ball boy to an NLLer. Uh, he's now with Georgia, but who's the who's the kid from Colorado that's going to be the one that was, you know, a, a mammoth camper and now is going to be an NLL? Has you got a guy that people should keep their eye out for? Oh, man, that's tough. I mean, we already had Nick Costello there for a bit. Right. Um, but, you know, there are there are quite a few very, very talented um, kids who – who have grown up in the Denver area now that lacrosse has blown up here and gone through that DU program. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to hear Colton Jackson's name here in the future. He's at DU right now. Um, you know, there's uh, a couple kids in the senior class that are moving on to college next year that, that I wouldn't be surprised to hear either with, with Jake Taylor. I know he's a very high recruit. Um, there's a kid, Lance Tillman, going down to UNC. Um you know, I got, there's a couple of kids from my program who are heading off to Division One program. So, you know, I really wouldn't be surprised to see some of those Colorado kids make their way back to the Mammoth in the near future. Uh, speaking of Nick Ocello, he is the king of top fives. Did you happen to see his power ranking of desserts? Yeah, I was not impressed with it one day. No, not at all. No, like, not at all. Plain cheesecake and strawberry is his number one dessert of all time. That could be one of the worst number ones ever. That is terrible. Absolutely terrible. What is your top dessert? I mean, honestly, my top dessert is creme brulee. If it's yeah. on the menu, I'm getting it. 
and uh, it's it's there's nothing even close to it. I probably would have stopped my list right there. Actually, you know what? <laughs> if I'm at a restaurant, it's creme brulee, and then if if I didn't say this, I'd probably be disowned. But my mom, I make the world's greatest carrot cake, and I if someone thinks differently, I I offer them up the challenge because I have yet to come across a carrot cake that's better than my mom's. Is it a sour cream frosting? Um, is, is that what it's called? I don't cream know. Cheese or sour cream? Frosting. It's one of those two. It's, it's, I don't know. It's incredible, whatever it is. <laughs> well, hey, make sure she brings around for the boys when she makes her yearly trip out to Denver this year. Well, I'm sure she'll be listening to this, and now she's giving me a hard time. <laughs> yes, perfect. Uh, you guys have the first weekend off. You don't play until the 22nd when the San Diego Seals come to town. How excited will that night be for you, uh, not just to get going, but to take on the Seals and get back inside the Pepsi Center? It's awesome. You know, obviously, I, I, kind of, I took the summer off from from Boston, played uh, any summer ball. So, you know, my, my last box game was a very, very sour, had a very sour taste in my mouth, mm-hmm. that playoff loss to Calgary. So, you know, I've been, it's been a long off season. I've been itching to get back and, you know, I'm I'm excited to get the ball rolling here. Did you wish that you were playing Calgary first? Um, you know that that doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, you know we just want to we want to get put ourselves in a position to make playoffs first, and then you know go from there. So it does it didn't really matter. We're not going to avenge a, a loss in the playoffs, the first game of the season. You know we want to get to the playoffs and and avenge a loss right uh, properly in the playoffs. So. You know, it, it doesn't really matter that who we're playing the first game. I'm just excited to get the ball rolling. Like pretty much every National Lacrosse League player, fan, coach, GM, broadcaster, equipment guy, trainer, ticket salesman, everybody is fired up and ready to go. So uh, thanks to Dylan Ward for stopping by. He and the Mammoth will get week one off. They will host the San Diego Seals in two weeks. And things will just kind of be flowing in full motion, heading right into Christmas. Other news that kind of broke in the National Cross League on Tuesday after all the rosters were announced on Monday is that the National Cross League does indeed have their 13th franchise. We're adding Philadelphia and San Diego this year. Next year, technically, I believe Rochester is the new franchise as Kurt Styers will move his team up to Halifax. But the 13th franchise will be based out of Long Island. That is right. The 13th franchise will play at a Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, and they will be owned by a group of people involved with GF Sports. Uh, GF Sports is a world-renowned media entertainment company based in New York. Uh, they own two ATP tennis tours in Boston, or sorry, in New York and Atlanta. Uh, they have shareholders in the equestrian events. They are just a group of people um, who want to see sports evolve, and they want to be involved in sports. And being involved in the National Lacrosse League is a great opportunity for them and a cohesion with the BSE, Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment Group, Uh, They oversee Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. They also operate the Barclay Center. So uh, this is an extremely aggressive and popular move by the National Lacrosse League to go back to Long Island, get back into proper New York. But my issue is 
the name. And they haven't officially named them yet, but their website is asking for names. And you can vote. And the three options that they have for you are names that I am not truly on board with. And unfortunately, I'm not sure how many people are on board. The three options that they give you to choose from are the New York Beacons, the New York Force, and the New York Riptide. Truly, none of them to me scream New York. None of them scream National Lacrosse League or lacrosse in general. And I truly believe that they are missing an opportunity, much like they did in Philadelphia, to go back to the wings that the New York team should be called the New York Saints. I don't know if they've thought of that or if it's a possibility. Apparently, you can write in an answer if you take their survey. Um, It says, if you have a name suggestion not listed above, please enter it. If you are doing that and you are going to their website, don't choose Beacons, Force, or Riptide. Submit the name New York Saints. We don't want the Titans. We want the New York Saints, mostly because I love St. Bernard's. But also because it's a name that has tradition in the area. People remember it. People will know what it is. And I think it's a great opportunity to rejoin the past with the present and go into the future. So let's hope that happens. Speaking of the future... We're just a few more days away from the first game of the season. And to get you ready and get you primed for some things that you might not be aware of, let's check in with VP of Lacrosse Ops, Brian Lemon, for a quick update on some rule changes, tweaks, and things that fans should be looking for as the season begins. We go through the rule book each year and dissect the previous season. And uh, really what we came up this year is a lot of housekeeping items in the rule book, nothing significant uh, really for the fans of any uh, uh, significant changes to the rule book. Uh, one that you did mention when we had our broadcasters call, there's going to be an extra five seconds between uh, goals and face-offs, and that's to uh, allow more replay advantages. Right, actually 10 seconds uh, added on, and and that was for the uh, broadcast to allow for uh, more quality clips and replays of the goal scored and uh, perhaps take in some of the fans and the uh, excitement of a goal being scored by the players on the uh, on the turf as well. So that'll be uh, one change that you'll see. Uh, and obviously that gives the, the team that got scored upon uh, you know, more time to look at the uh, video to see if I want a challenge too. So I kind of uh, killed two birds with one stone on that. Um, what other minor changes uh, to the rule book were there? You know, that's that's the uh, the only one that had any uh, altering change. Uh, really, we, we we really focused on um, more focus calls. We come up with a document each year, and it's it's um, items that we list that we want officials to focus on. Uh, obviously focus on the entire rules and adjudicate the game to the best of their abilities, which they do a great job at. 
but also, okay, what has been coming into the game that we want to stop or tweak? And that's kind of where we come up with our focus call list. So the, the three main focus calls for this year are illegal body checking, off-ball flashing, and then diving and embellishment. We'll go through each one. Uh, let's start with illegal body checking. And I've gone through a lot of the focus calls that you have uh, given us broadcasters to kind of have a look at. And it seems that the, the defenseless player, whether it be a loose ball or trying to catch a pass or whatever it may be, you're really trying to protect those defenseless players. Yes, absolutely. It's it's about protecting the player. Player safety is paramount, obviously. And what we did was really, you know, the best way to describe this is we we tightened it up. So, you know, what if it was a major illegal body checking penalty last year? It's going to be a major in a game misconduct this year. So we tightened things up. We added additional uh, focus call clips in our documents for um, all the GMs and coaches and the referees to study. And obviously for the players to look at as well and uh, recognize what the violation is based on that type of player. And you're right. It, when we look at the rule book, you talk about the vulnerable and the defenseless player. And if, you know, you've heard the term, uh, obviously, many times, the sucker pass or the buddy pass where a player is reaching and he's unaware of an impending hit, those types of situations in transition it usually happens then those are the things we are going to tighten up on did you feel that there was an increase in those types of hits warranting sort of uh making the punishment that much more uh did you feel that those hits were becoming more of an issue in the national crossing you know this comes directly from the competition committee as well as our general managers meeting that we had in august uh this past summer Okay. And the consensus across the board from each team was, let's tighten this up and let's penalize the players that make these hits. And, um, you know, again, as such, we did that. Yeah. I think that that's great because, you know, we can all, we all remember, uh, the bouquet hit on Carson Young and we don't want to see anything like that. Unfortunately, we haven't seen Carson Young pick up a lacrosse stick since. So I'm glad that the National Lacrosse League is taking notice on protecting players. Now it's just up. To the players to protect themselves. Uh, one other, or one of the other areas is off-ball slashing, and, and that's something that lacrosse fans have seen for years in the game of lacrosse. What's the focus for the NLL to try to get that out of the game? Well, you know, kind of what we've seen over the last couple of years, it, it's it's you know slidden down a little bit, and and you know uh, the referees have allowed a little bit of you know a little touch before a guy cuts through and. And really, when we had our meetings that I referred to earlier, we want to eliminate that. And that's really how technically the rule book has been written. So we're tightening that up. And, you know, you get the equal pressure with a guy cutting through the center in a set-out five-on-five situation. That's okay. But you don't get a free whack slash as a guy's cutting through if you're marking your man up. Um, the referees have been instructed to put their hand up. There's no warnings. That's the call, and it'll be a two-minute slash or more, depending on the amount of force obviously applied. How long do you think? Because that, that's that's something that's sort of been a part of the game, you know, since you and I were playing. And do you think that'll take a while for players to adjust to? Because that's sort of something defenders have always um, taken liberties with. I think there's always a bit of transition time for players, referees, et cetera, coaches, GMs on any focus calls that are implemented or new rules. 
certainly we were making a strong emphasis over the past two exhibition weekends during games to enforce this. So hopefully it's a smooth transition heading into this weekend. And then uh, Rule 95-3, diving and embellishment. Uh, This goes both sides of the ball, not just uh, defenders who embellish getting blown up on picks, but also offensive players, uh, you know, trying to bring the referee's attention to their stick being held by a defender. Um, what was the, the reasoning behind those two? Obviously, the blowing up of a pick one uh, is a big one, but the, the old guy having a stick held, that happens a lot. Um, is that tough for an official to call? Well, I think if we crack down on the diving embellishment, and you made great examples of uh, the the, uh, the the grab the stick and then dropping the stick to try and get that holding penalty, as you just suggested, and you know the the pick situation where the guy is diving to embellish to get the illegal pick call. You know, those are great examples, and we've seen those things creep into our game, and we want to get those out. Uh, so. Uh, Again, the, the competition committee and the general managers across uh, the league said, let's make a focus on this. And, you know, per rule, it's a, it's a minor penalty for unsportsmanlike. So um, that's the other uh, third one that we're looking at from a focus call standpoint for the uh, 2018-19 season. Do you, obviously, you know, with, with some of those illegal body checks, how – how quickly do you think a referee is going to make the adjustment from it being a major penalty to automatically handing out uh, a match or a game misconduct? You know, we've, we've cut these clips uh, for months uh, since the end of last season. Uh, the referees had their uh, training camp in Syracuse uh, in September. We've had uh, weekly conference calls for the last month and a half. Uh, as well as their own independent study on all the focus call clips, as well as, you know, having their experience and getting into some exhibition games the last two weeks. So, you know, my expectation is that uh, they're coming out of the gate week one and, uh, you know, hey, we got the best referees in the world and uh, the objective is to hit the bullseye and make the correct calls on all these. It's a tough Perfect. game. It's a fast game. You know that. Um, mm-hmm. It's a tough game to officiate. I think, I think the, the toughest sport to officiate, actually, in my opinion, um, but uh, my expect- expectations are high for these guys to perform at the best of, of their abilities and perform at the NLL level. With the camp that you guys had in Syracuse, did you have you guys brought in a, a, a new um, recruitment of young referees to, to kind of create more numbers of officials? We're not sort of tiring these guys out and making them, you know, do two games in a weekend, maybe. You know, we're always, uh, the league office is always looking for quality officials, and that's something that never stops. Uh, it's not just the off season that I do that. I, I kind of keep my tabs on all the leagues that are going on throughout the winter and obviously more in the summertime in the amateur leagues. Um, but that's that's certainly a, a mandate on, on my um, shoulders, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly over the last few years, knowing that expansion was coming with the great things Commissioner Sakevich is doing, I've hired a number of uh, guys more so than previous years. And, again, that's to, you know, build the staff. No different than a GM and a coach does when they draft their guys and put guys on the active roster and the practice player list. So I've kind of done the same thing. And and guys are grooming into those opportunities. And and, and now that, uh, 
you know, we, we've got a, a partnership with the ALL. Some of those guys that are not working on weekends in the NLL or shot clock officials, they're going to get into those games if they live in that geographic region. And hopefully we expand that to other markets and other other leagues across both countries to get guys training and up to speed faster uh, than we have in the past. VP of LAX Operations, Brian Lemon, joining us here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. And so no true rule changes, just some tightening of the applications of the rules. And having gone through the broadcaster's focus manual and looked at some of the calls that they're going to be tightening up, I truly believe it will be an interesting look to see how quickly officials are apt to give game misconduct, match penalties, majors, things like that. Because I, I'm, I am all for player safety. As a guy who has concussion issues and had to stop playing because of concussions, I'm all for protecting players. Hits to the head, hits from behind on the boards, things like that. There's no need for it in the game, so those things need to be called. Some of the little things like um, diving into a goaltender, off-ball slash, embellishments, um, illegal body checks, a lot of those can be personal, I don't want to say personal preference, but it's all a personal viewpoint of the official and how they see it. Now, of course, officials can confer and talk with each other, and even after the game, some things can be looked at by the rules committee and by the league to see if supplemental disciplinary actions are necessary. But with the game, with the speed that this game is played at, it's not always easy to get the call right. And if we go back and look at that Alex Bouquet hit on Carson Leung, when at the time, I don't believe there was an initial penalty called, and then it had to go to the league to finally find a solution. Plays like those that happen at such high speed and are bang, bang, it's not always easy to make the right call. And that's not a shot on the refs. That's trying to give the officials the benefit because, like I said, it can happen so quickly. Uh, Go back to the Greg Harnett hit on Jeremy Noble two years ago where Noble went for a loose ball in the corner, and as he was picking up, he was turning, and Greg Harnett hit him, and he went flying into the boards. Now, in the manual that us broadcasters get to kind of explain some of these rules, it says because of where that hit happened and because of the violent nature that Noble went flying into the boards, it caused supplemental discipline. But if that play happens five feet further away from the boards and Noble doesn't get hit into them, it's a clean hit. So it all happen- depends on where on the floor, how the, the body is hit, the reaction of the player. There are so many little things that can go into making those calls that it's not always going to be easy for the officials to discern whether something is a mi- well, discerning from a minor to major is easier than discerning from a major to a match or from a major to a game misconduct. That won't be easy. And that's why I asked Brian Lemon of how tough is it going to be for the transition for officials to decipher between those calls. And so with the lead up that they've been having and the camps that the officials are doing, which I'm always happy to hear that they are doing that. It will be interesting to see in these first few games how strict and or how lenient the officials are 
when it comes to calling those excessive penalties because giving a player a major is one thing. Giving a player a match in a game misconduct is completely different. And some of the calls that I've seen in the booklet that we got that say why a penalty would be a match, I'm still not sure that I would see it that way. And so it's going to be very interesting to watch how officials tighten up on some of these calls. Again, illegal body check, off-ball slashing, and diving and embellishment. Those are the three focus calls that the officials have been told to keep an eye on. And it will be very interesting to see who the first ref is that calls a player, an offensive guy, for letting their stick go because a D guy is holding on to it. Or to call a defender for flopping on a back pick to try to get the call. Players are going to have to be more diligent on their actions. They can't, you know, for lack of a better term, try and embellish or goad the officials into making a call. So it will be interesting. So that's something for fans to keep an eye on. Uh, the extra time between goal and faceoff, again, that's just a, a game management thing to allow broadcasts to show more replays and little things like that. There haven't been any major rule changes this year, just some minor technical things. And then, of course, the three main focus calls. So uh, thanks to Brian Lemon for joining us and kind of bringing us up to speed. We'll have him on uh, throughout the year talking about different scenarios and situations, and he's always a great resource to reach out to and have him explain things from a league's vantage point. But other than that, I have talked way too long today. Uh, Thank you for sticking in for all 90-plus minutes of this podcast. Uh, Thanks to Brian Lemon. Dylan Ward, Patty G, and of course, Mike Poon. All four great guests and all four your listening pleasure. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. The NLL season is here. We are just a few short days away. December 15th is right around the corner. 1 p.m. Eastern, the return of the Wings, Buffalo and Philly, 7.05 Eastern, New England at Georgia, 9 p.m. Eastern, Vancouver at Calgary. All games can be seen on BR Live. Enjoy the games this week, and until next time, be excellent to each other.